So here, let me do my favorite announcement. What is it? Jack? New building update. You want to hear it? Okay. <laughs> we have hired an architectural firm to do conceptual drawings. We're that far. Uh, we've identified the building that we want to purchase, and that's the building that we lease our offices in. We're, we're endeavoring to buy half of that. We've also uh, uh, engaged a real estate attorney. I've also been juggling three banks that are interested in financing our build-out. And so it's like... It's kind of like the dust storm that came through yesterday. It's kind of a haboob right now. And uh, so you need to pray for those relationships for us, for God's favor that uh, we're going the right way, but also that he keeps us focused in this church that we're supposed to continue to make disciples and not get so wrapped up in that building. But I'm just so excited. Uh, God's going to bless us, and he is blessing us. And uh, if he's not doing anything else, he's teaching me humility. But... Uh, it's a great and exciting thing, and so uh, I'm sure you guys are excited and want to get, in, get out of this school into your own place, do you? Yeah. So get on your knees, get on your faces, and pray that God would uh, move in our behalf and make sure that your heart is fully for him, because that's what our uh, Dare to Move theme verse is, right? God's looking for hearts that are fully for him uh, so he can exercise his power on their behalf, and that's what we're praying. So that's the building update. Um, I'll keep you as informed as I can. I don't want to give you too much information because it's bad to bring you way up here and then drop you way down here. So we'll be responsible with passing on that information. All right. We're going to do a short time of greeting. So stand up, find out who's around you, say hello, and we're going to get started real quick. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network Maybe get some free grub. Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with that. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at shallow small group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth? Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Who wants cake? Come on and get it! And there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy. And we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? Yikes!
So the title of our, our, our teaching today is Can You Relate? And hopefully not like that, because that's not how to relate. And I hope that that's not your experience uh, in small groups of any kind, any kind of relationship. So I'm Pastor Scott. I get to teach today. Ray's on vacation. Whenever he goes on vacation, we all have an opportunity to teach. Love it. And I love teaching because it causes me to have to dig even deeper than I already dig. And God shows me himself and his word in a whole new, fresh way. And I hope... I hope uh, what God's put on my heart shows you him in a new, fresh way today because that's really my prayer and desire for you. Ryan did a great job last week, didn't he? Yes. Teaching David and Goliath. He talked about calling, didn't he? And uh, I think that God's given each of us a particular calling. He's, he's shaped us all in a very particular way individually so we can do exactly what he wants us to do for his glory. But I think in general, he's given us one as human beings, one universal calling, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, that calling, that universal calling, is called relationships. And so the title of our teaching today, it's not a rhetorical question. uh, It's a literal question, and I have to ask myself that, and you ought to be asking yourself that on a regular basis. Can I relate? Can I connect and go into and go on in healthy connections and healthy relationships? with the people God's brought into my life, with my friends, with my co-workers, with people that I just encounter on a day-to-day basis, with my family, with uh, my church, with my boss, just all kinds of relationships. And if you think about it, all of creation is one big universal uh, connection point. It's all one big, big ball of relationships. So think about it. I have a relationship with some of you, but also have a relationship with my wife, and you have a relationship with my wife, so there's some connection there. My influences with my, in, my relationship with my wife influences my relationship with my kids, and my relationship with my employer influences my relationship with my wife, because I have to supply for my family, and then that causes a relationship because I earn a paycheck with the bank, and I have to buy food, right? So I have a relationship with the grocery store and with, with farmers that I don't even know, and they're influenced by a relationship with the weather because they have to raise animals and grow crops and stuff to provide food that I buy. And, man, the, the, the connections are just never-ending, and that conversation could go on and on and on and on. So the whole universe is one big relational connection point. And so our first fill-in-the-blank, let's just get right to it, uh, is we were made for connection. And so Genesis chapter 126 talks about that. It talks about that. It's God's original blueprint and purpose for us. God himself is a relational being, and he has created us in his image to be relational buildings, beings as well. I got building on the mind, don't I? <laughs> I got a relationship with that building. Anyways, let's read uh, Genesis chapter 126. I'll read it for you. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So that tells us a few things. It says... God calls himself us and ours, so he's the perfect relational being within himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. But he says, uh, let us make man. That's not singular because he goes on to says, after, uh, make them. Uh, so it's not man singular, it's mankind. And he's made many of us, and we're supposed to have relationship. But not only that, we have relationship with him because it says, and let them have dominion. So he's invited us in to this plan he has for all of his creation to not only have relationship with him, but to have dominion over the earth and have relationships in it in many different ways. 
But the other thing is, is it goes on in verse 27 that says male and female, he created them. He created some really cool relationships that we can have. So praise God for male and female relationships. Amen? Yes. All right. So all of this is one creational or relational uh, ball of wax. And God really put this on my heart for a couple of different reasons. Not only for the reasons that I've stated personally already, relationships are really important to me, so I've got to know I have to, I'm going to do those things right. But I think about this church, and I think about what's going on and where we're going and where we think we're going. And uh, we're getting ready to launch into a series called uh, The Gospel in Life. And what that series is really about, it's taking the gospel into the city and making an impact to glorify God and to grow his church. And so to do that, we're going to have to know how relationships go because we're going to have greater opportunities with people that might not even be sitting here right now. And that goes on with our building a church building. We're going to grow our church family. And so we not only have to have healthy relationships inside this church, but we're going to have opportunities to create new relationships with people that God brings to our door. And we've got to know how to do that right. We have to know that the gospel is at the center of all those things. And here's what I know. It ticks the enemy off royally. And so we have to protect our relationships. And we have to grow them purposefully and do the hard work of relationships. Because the gates of hell will not prevail. Okay? So let's focus on relationships today. So the next fill in the blank, and and this goes along with um, Isaiah 53 as it goes with relationships between you and I and you and other people, is that we will always experience an imbalance of healthy connection. Why is that? Well, Isaiah 53, verse 6, says it very well. It says that all of us are like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And so it calls us sheep for a very particular reason. Sheep are scared. Sheep are needy. Sheep are diseased. Sheep are dumb. Now, I'm not calling you dumb, okay, because I are one, right? I'm a sheep too. But because of our sheep-like characteristics, we go astray. We pick things that are not in God's plan for us because being scared and needy, we, we lose this lack to really trust God and to trust other people, people at the level that we need to to have healthy relationships, And that's our problem. So it's a vertical problem, and it's always also a horizontal problem. And I think the two are connected. But you know what also is connected? The solution. It says, but the Lord has caused the iniquity, which means perversion, by the way. We pervert God's plan for our lives to fall on, of us all, to fall on him. He takes those eternal consequences that we bring on ourselves because we're like sheep gone astray, And he takes the consequences for us. And he calls us back into his plan. But he also doesn't condemn us. And he just saturates us with his love and the gospel. So we can live out the gospel in life according to his plan for our lives. Glorifies him and it it satisfies his purpose for our lives. So I wanted to share something with you guys. I've shared it with the leaders before. And I've shared it with some of you individually. So I apologize if this is repetitive. But it's really cool and it's really important. It's called a map of the relational universe. And there's only four connection points in this relational universe. And so I wanted to share them with you. You guys have linear fill in the blanks. And this is going to be kind of a, a quadrant thing up here. So the first quadrant in the relational universe is called no connection. And no connection is isolation. 
Solitude is good because solitude means we're getting with God. That's what Jesus did. But isolation is bad. Isolation is when we disconnect from people. We distance ourselves from them. We shut down emotionally or intellectually or in some relational way. And this doesn't require a physical distance. We can do that sitting right in front of each other. We can just shut down and shut off. You can tell when people do that, right? So there's no connection. What the problem is, is that it doesn't promote relationship. It actually leads to death. And and the biblical definition of this is hell. Total separation from God. Total separation from love and good and mercy and relationship. And so we... We can't hang out there relationally because God said the only thing in creation he said that was not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so we can't hang out there relationally. So what we do is we try and be good enough. We try and live up to being good enough to have relationship. And we go over to quadrant number two, which is called bad connection. And bad bad connection is focused on being good enough. And so we attach ourselves to people who will help us to count our sins Help us to figure out if we're good enough to have relationship. And it's called condemnation. This bad connection is where I either am bad or I feel bad. Okay? And it doesn't work. Churches do this. Churches are good at counting your sin. But if they're just preaching that part of the gospel, it's all truth and no grace, no love. Okay? We do this as parents all the time. We love our kids so much that we have kind of this toxic love sometimes. Maybe you're, maybe you're teaching your kids how to do sports or something and you, you sign them up for a team and you know, maybe they get in there and the coach puts them in and they fumble the ball or they strike out or they miss the basket or something. And we're great at pointing out what they did wrong. And we tend to do that kind of first. So it's this bad connection and we feel bad, the person that's the recipient of that, or we are bad. And when we feel bad, what do we do? Well, we go back to quadrant number one. We isolate ourselves. So we have this unhealthy thing about going back and forth in this relational universe. And the great thing about this relational universe map is we can learn things about ourselves. If we know what this says, and I, and I pray if you get anything else aside from the gospel today, that you get this relational universe thing. So you can learn about yourself and see yourself running around like a sheep in this relational universe to know that you can make better decisions to get where you need to go relationally with people. So when we run back and forth between isolation and condemnation, uh, bad connection, we get just tired of that and it wears us out and we just want to feel good. Do you just want to feel good relationally sometimes? Because you just get sick and tired of people beating you down and you get sick and tired of being alone? Well, what we do, we, feel, we try and feel good is, is we, we, we miss what makes us feel good and we end up worshiping uh, created things, as the Bible says, And we go for what's called a pseudo-connection. A pseudo-connection offers temporal pleasure. Okay? This helps us to feel good, and it does. There's lots of stuff that makes us feel good. But it's also called a seduction. And it's called a seduction for a reason. Because it holds out this false hope for us. And what it looks like relationally is that we attach ourselves to things that just make us feel good. We're... uh, we're hedonists. Pleasure is our God. And so it might be drugs, it might be alcohol, but it might be a different kind of drug. It might be other people that make us feel good, but don't tell us the truth. It might be workaholism. It might be physical fitness. It might be toys and stature and title. 
All kinds of things offer us this pseudo-connection. But what happens when you attach yourself to these seductions is they become so dominant in our lives, they don't satisfy anymore. So we need more and more and more and more. And what it leads to is destruction in our lives. And so in an extreme, obvious example, like drugs and alcohol, getting high is never enough. You've got to go to a different drug or take more of that drug or drink more and more and more. But you can never get high enough. You can never get drunk enough. You can never have enough sex, have enough toys, have enough stature to really meet the need that you really have that's underneath if you peel back all the layers of your needy sheep onion, it's never going to be enough. And so what ends up happening we get, when we get there? Well, then we end up feeling bad again. So we run back up to number two. I got to get my act together. I got to go to the gym. I go to the gym. It's for a good reason because I need to be physically fit because I eat 10 pizzas every night. But, you know, we attach ourselves to the physical trainer and they calls us flabby and a girly man condemnation all over again so we run all of this all over this relational universe here's the thing we need what's called real connection and that's quadrant number four it's authentic relationships it's where we can feel safe and when we feel safe and we can bring all of our junk from quadrants one two and three and bring it over to number four and say hey i have these needs i'm a sheep i make bad decisions i'm scared i can't trust When you find a place that's safe like that and you can find people that you can trust and work through your issues with them but also be who you are and what God created you to be, which are the good things, then you can experience the sanctification process that God changes us from the inside out and he does it with healthy people around us. And we experience this wholeness that we can't find anywhere else except relationally in quadrant number four. So we have to be quadrant four people We have to have quadrant four churches. We have to be in quadrant four relationships and groups of people. And it's and it's amazing when you can look at this and go, yeah, I I isolate myself all the time, or you know, I, I, I find myself in condemning places all the time, but I run to those places. And so when you learn about this and you learn where you are in this, you can call someone up and say, Hey, I'm having a number two day, which is a crappy day. But uh, you can say, yeah, I, you call up a quadrant four person and say, you know, hey, I, uh, I'm getting beat up at work. I was kind of late today, so it's safe to tell them that uh, I made a mistake. But uh, the boss is mad, and when the boss is mad, everybody has a bad day, so everyone's down on me. And so you can talk to this quadrant four person, and he can kind of talk you off the roof, talk you back over to quadrant four and to say, hey, so you screwed up. Own it. But I love you. It's okay. What they say about you is not important. What God says about you is important. But honor him and how you respond to it. And so there's a sanctification that you go through and go, oh, okay, I forgot, forgot the gospel. I forgot what, makes, what life is really about and what's important in life. Okay? See how this is so cool, this relational universe and how we can find ourselves and it could be such a great tool for us to figure out relationally what's going on in our lives so we can make better decisions. But quadrant four, I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's hard work to be a quadrant four person, but also it's even harder work to battle against our sheep-like characteristics, characteristics to get into quadrant four to trust people. And so we need some help. We need some guidance. And I think that we ought to go to God right now 
and ask for his help in that regard, that he would let this sink deep down into our hearts. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, I am so thankful for the opportunity to be up here, Lord, because I am a sheep and I need your help and I need your guidance and I need fresh and new relationships. I need to stop my staggering. Lord, this wandering in your word means to actually staggering and be intoxicated. And I want to stop my staggering. I need you to breathe new life into my relationship with you, Lord, that it would be an overflowing of my relationship with other people. Lord, I need you to help me to stop worshiping and created things and fearing man more than I fear you. And to know that you love me, you don't condemn me. You're a quadrant for God. And that you will make me whole. What you says, say is important, not what other people say is important. And that you've called me for a relationship, Lord, so I can't give up. When I feel like giving up, you're going to renew my strength. And I pray that you do that today for people that are feeling relationally wearying and run out, God. In our fearfulness and our arrogance and our weakness and our pride relationally, Lord, I, I pray that you just grant us repentance and cover us with your mercy and your grace. And also, Lord, that you would protect this church family from the schemes of the enemy, that he would work on our relation, wouldn't work on our relational weak points, that, uh, that you would do that and you would give us strength that we could go make an impact to bring the gospel into the into the world. God, I pray a special blessing for these people in Colorado that just experienced such devastating loss and, and hideous fear. Lord, don't let them be scattered. Bring them together. Heal them. Show them what real relationship with you is all about. Fill the hole that, that's been created by this loss, but also, Lord, let them know your presence and there is hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's go on. So what is the purpose of connecting us with one another? It's, it's kind of obvious. We've talked about it already, but how does that work relationally? Well, if it's a relational God who's created relational beings, what he's done, he's called us into relationship uh, uh, with foundationally to be a loving relationship. And here's your next fill in the blank. In relationships are the only place where love can be experienced, given, and received and where the gospel is spread. It's the only place. In fact, the Bible talks about relationships and love being the greatest things that there is to live for. Matthew 22, all kinds of people were always trying to test Jesus and ask him what the greatest commandment was. You guys know what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a relational thing. And it's founded on love. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. What is it? Go make disciples. And who was he talking to? He was talking to disciples. He's saying, okay, disciples, I've had relationship with you. Now go make disciples. Go have relationship and teach them to be a disciple. Well, how will people know that we're disciples and that they are disciples? Well, he goes on in John 13, which we're going to talk about today, and says they'll know your disciples by your love for one another. So you see, this is what God really revealed to me, that all of Scripture is this just relational magnifying glass, and it's incredible. So I want us to grasp that today. In the, great, in the greatest uh, commandment thing, Matthew 22, what I talked about, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were trying to test God, uh, test Jesus. See, they weren't measuring him according to who he was. They were measuring him according to who they were. 
See, they were about the law. They were about the letter of the law, and the letter of the law brings death. That's quadrant two stuff. Got to measure up. You're not God. Because if you're God, then it makes us not God, and that's a bad thing, so there's got to be condemnation to make ourselves feel better. It's a quadrant two kind of thing. There was another account in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is on trial, and there's a lawyer. There's a lawyer, and he's, and he's trying to test Jesus, and he does it kind of a, a, in the same way, but in a different way. And it says, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, teacher, I think it was kind of a, a sarcastic comment. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, I'm sure, is thinking, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants. You're a lawyer. You're supposed to know the law, so let's just put it back on you. And he says to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? So he puts the question back on the lawyer. And the lawyer, full of himself, says, word for word, according to the law, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Nailed it. Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You did nail it. But let me answer the question that you asked. How do you inherit eternal life? He said, do this and you will live. Knowing it's not enough. Doing it is the gospel. You see, knowledge puffs up. And the, the lawyer was puffed up. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were puffed up. They knew the law, but they weren't living it out. And Jesus is saying, doing it's what's important. Knowing it is good, but doing it is what is important. And so, we have to, to do this, we have to actually experience it ourselves. We can't give what we don't have, so we have to experience this relationship, this love, to be able to pass it on. Knowledge puffs up, but obedience, that requires humility, and it requires learning. And so that's the hard part. You know, I, I know this stuff, and I know many of you guys know this stuff. But sometimes I get so stressed out. People push me right over the edge sometimes. The responsibilities I have, especially right now, and I'm not complaining. I'm just kind of bringing you into my life a little bit. There is so much going on. I am so intimidated. This stuff is way beyond me. So there has to be a God. Okay? But sometimes I forget how to do relationship, how to be loving. And it pushes me right off the edge and, and I just blow up. And there's a piece of me over here and a piece of me over there and someone else caught some shrapnel and they're all over the place relationally. And it just doesn't feel very loving. It doesn't look very loving. So what I need at that point is I need people to love me and forgive me and accept me, to ask me what my needs are, to give me grace and mercy. But if I need that, so do other people. So do the other sheep in my flock. And that has to do with a lot of, a lot of people. And so we've got to learn how to do this thing called relationship. And so um, we need an example to follow because God's called us to be loving people, to be connected. And I, I love God's word because it really lights my path. And I just turned 50 years old and I had to go buy some new glasses because the old ones weren't working so well. And uh, when God lights the path through his word, what I see is Jesus' footprints. 
Because he not only says it and say, says, come what's this way, he walks that path too. So I can be a Christ follower and follow him in this relational thing. And one of the most beautiful pictures of relationship is John chapter 13. So if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, uh, we're going to read through a lot of that. And I'm going to kind of dissect it as we go along. It's going to be on the, up on the screen if you don't have it. And so uh, let me just start reading. This is about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So here's Jesus' last hours. He knew God sent him here for a purpose, and he surrounded them with people. He's with the disciples, and he loved the disciples, and he loved them to the end. What it goes on to say, during supper, when the devil had already put into, his, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from, the, from God and was going back to God. Let's stop there for a second. He loved them all to the end. He even loved Judas Iscariot to the very end because he knew God placed him as a sheep in his hands. To love, and he had purpose for his life as well. You know, it didn't turn out too well for him, but it wasn't because of Jesus' love. And so I'm going to try and maintain my composure because this is a really profound thing to me that I, I learned in digging through this scripture. It says, He rose up from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a cowl, towel, uh, tied it around his waist. I think symbolically what this means relationally with Jesus is he took off his God clothes and opened himself up and said, guys, you know me as teacher and Lord, but there's something I want you to know that's even deeper and even more important and more profound. So he took off his outer garment, left his place at the table, went down to his feet with a basin of water and a towel wrapped around him to wash the disciples' feet. And it goes on to say, Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Washing feet, my own feet, is nasty enough. Okay? Washing other people's feet, even in this culture, I doubt if I called some of you up here to wash feet, it'd probably be a little bit uncomfortable, wouldn't it? Well, think about this culture. Everybody wore sandals. There were no paved roads. It was all dirt roads. I'm sure some of them were cobblestone or something like that, but it was dirt. And what was the major mode of transportation and transit to carry goods? Oxen, donkeys, and stuff. They have emissions that are not, they don't go up into the clouds, okay? So they're walking around in that stuff. Also, animals were slaughtered and drains of blood and nastiness was just in the streets. So washing feet is nasty. It was a hideous thing to do, but yet, think about who this is. This is Jesus. This is God. And he's coming down to wash the disciples' feet. Every single one of them. He even washed Judas's feet. It goes on to say, he came to Simon Peter. I love Simon Peter. I call him bipolar Peter. He gives me this great picture of me 
and my fear and things like that and my, you know, my guardedness. I want to talk about that. Came to Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? They're nasty. Don't we sometimes hide from God and we don't want to show him our dirty feet, where we've been, what we have on us? That didn't stop Jesus from washing his feet. Jesus said, uh, answered him and said, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And in one ear, out the other ear of bipolar Peter, it says, You shall never wash my feet. And we do that sometimes with God. I never want to tell God about that. Well, God knows everything about you. You can't hide your dirty feet from Jesus. And so Jesus kind of gets Peter's attention, I think, and he says, uh, if I don't wash, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That is a relationally devastating comment. You can have no share with me. You can't have relationship with me. I won't be able to cleanse you. That's, that's devastating. It would be devastating. And so bipolar Peter, not my feet, but my head and my hands. And I could see him stripping off his robes and say, wash all of me. Bipolar Peter, I just love him because we need Jesus to wash us. So Jesus kind of calms the storm in, in Peter and says... Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll wash your feet. But he goes on to say, uh, where am I? I get lost in this stuff. Jesus said to him, to the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. What Jesus was pointing out here is that if we have relationship with Christ, as we, if we believe him and follow him, we are spiritually clean. We're perfect. We're white as snow. But... He needs to continue to wash our feet every single day because we continue to sin. We continue to be sheep. And so there's only part of us that needs to be cleaned. Okay? And we need to bring our feet to him because he's right there with us all the time. And so he points that out and he says, uh, and you are clean, Peter, but not every one of you, disciples, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet, every single one of them, and put on his outer garment, so he puts back on his God clothes and resumed his place. He went back to his God place. And he said, do you understand what I have done? So he's taken back on the teacher Lord role, and he's going, do you guys get it? Do you understand what just happened here? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also to wash one another's feet. That's how you're supposed to do relationship. For I have given you an example. I didn't just tell you about it. I've given you an example. I showed you what it looks like that you also should do just as I have done. And he says, Woo, woo, truly, truly, I say to you, this is like sirens. This is like the blue light special. Okay, he wants to get our attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So he's saying, I'm teaching you this not because I'm trying to get through some teaching exercise so you pass your test. You're going to pass the test by your doing them because you're not greater than I am. You're supposed to do what I do. You're supposed to become like the teacher. 
I am no greater than my father. My father sending me to the cross is like washing all of your feet. And so I am no greater than him. And you're my messengers and you're no greater than me. So go wash feet. And then he has this teaching moment where he kind of gets prophetic on them and he tells them what Judas is going to do. And he says, I am telling you that this now before it takes place, that it, uh, that it does not take place, you may believe that I am he. So remember who I am. Remember that I'm God. And then he does this, this, this big point, and this is huge. Truly, truly, I say to you, big time, get your attention statement there. Who receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. What he was saying is when you go to wash feet, when you go to do ministry, you're going to encounter people that are going to betray you, that are going to deceive you, that are going to even send you to your cross. And what he's telling us is to wash their feet. They need my love. You need my love. So wash their feet. So we're going to encounter people like that. And so this is new to us. And it goes on. It's actually titled The New Commandment. It says, um, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and glorified is, uh, God is glorified in him, and God is glorified in him. God has also glorified him in himself and glorified him at once. He's saying, I just lived out the gospel, and so God is glorified. I accomplished my purpose in that moment. And so moment by moment, we need to accomplish our relational uh, purposes. But we're immature in this regard because, you know, we have such a limited view as sheep. And he goes on to call them little children. Because according to the gospel, we're naive and we're little ones. And so he says, little children, yet for a little while I'll be with you. And it goes on to say, where I'm going, you cannot come. You can't go to the cross because that won't really do anything for anybody else. I'm going to do everything on the cross. And you can't go to heaven with me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I've got something for you to do. And it looks like washing feet. It says, a new commandment I give to you. Because this was a whole new concept to them. Can you imagine God and knowing who he is sitting right in front of you, taking off his outer garments and washing your feet? That's a new kind of love. That is certainly not how the, the world loves. But even us sheep inside the flock... It's kind of new to us sometimes. And if it's not new, we forget. So it really is kind of a new concept because we don't know how to live it out. So a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. There's the example. You also are to love one another. By this, here's the purpose, all people, not just the ones that are going to accept you, but all people, they're going to be without excuse. Will know that you are my, my disciples and they're going to know the impact that the gospel has on people. It's life-changing. Know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So it's an internal thing, but it's also purpose for an external purpose. And this is kind of an example of duty and love. You see, we can wash feet in quadrants one, two, three, and four, or one, two, and three. Because it's, it's the difference between meeting felt needs and real needs. Because someone can be in a pity party isolated in, in quadrant number one, or we can be there, and they can either invite us in or we can invite them and say, let's just isolate ourselves from the world. And so we can make it appear that we're, that we're washing their feet and we're caring for them, but we're not. We're just being isolated. 
and there's no truth and there's no sanctification. We're just going to hang out and have our pity party. The guy that you called up and said, I'm having a number two day, he could say, well, forget them. You go tell them what for. You tell them how bad they are. Walk out. That'll show them. Go over to quadrant number one. I'll meet you there. Okay? So we can appear to wash feet and support people in an unhealthy way. Or we can say, you know, the guy in quadrant number two that you gave a call to, you can say, yeah, man, don't worry about it. Just uh, meet me at the bar tonight. I'll buy you the first drink. We'll just get hammered and forget all about it. That's not love. That's not washing feet. We need to be loving and bring people safety, but also truth, which offers sanctification and love and wholeness. See how that works? It's amazing to me. It looks at a very particular way um, in the church, and we'll, we'll look at that in just a few minutes. So um, Christ does that for us. And the question is, as I explained it to you, that you can try and wash feet in these other quadrants, what kind of gospel are you proclaiming by the way you support and love people and wash their feet? What kind of disciples are you making? You have to be careful because you influence people and you do relationships whether you like it or not. It's how you do it that's important. It's how you do it that'll either glorify God or glorify you. That's really convicting for me. And I miss the boat often. And so I need quadrant four people all over again. So, how do we do relationships? We're going we're gonna to focus on that now. So, the next part is, how do you establish and maintain healthy relationships? I can tell you it's not on Facebook. Um, but there's some healthy... <laughs> yeah, there's some healthy steps that you can take. And I want to go through a couple of these. The first thing, when you're endeavoring to either begin a relationship or to repair an old one, maybe kind of get back into it and start trusting a little bit more, is you have to define us. You have to define the relationship. You have to have a chat. You have to bring light to the relational feelings. You have to say, and you have to do it in a safe way too. You can't throw up all over people and say, you, you know, you meet them for the first time and you want to just meet for coffee? Sure. Yeah, I can't live without you. Don't leave me, please. And I want to have 10 children. Will you be the father of my children? And, you know, just kind of throw up all over him and scare him away. You have to do it in layers. You have to kind of use a dimmer switch on the light and be safe for people, but you have to define the relationship and talk about what your needs are. And the way you do this in a safe way is to say, you know, I, I need a relationship, and I'm wanting to have a friend that um, will be safe. I can tell them what my challenges are, and they won't condemn me. They won't tell me to isolate themselves. They won't tell me to go drink or whatever the case might be, but they'll, they'll tell me the truth, and they'll love me. They'll make it safe for me. They'll be a quadrant four kind of person. So that doesn't scare people off. That just kind of, it might scare some people off if you're afraid of relationships. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, you kind of need to define it. And this is, I, I use the word light. And so when you're defining relationship, we consider what uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. And uh, the purest form of light is spiritual light. And it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, because men do prefer darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of the one who paid our sins that washed our feet internally, 
We bring light to relationships with the gospel. And it's safe to do that. And so what the, th- the thing is about having these chats, defining your thing, is what disgust tends to improve. And so relationships require a lot of talking and learning. And when you're talking and learning, um, in the church it looks like a very particular thing. And I wanted to, if you turn six books to the right from John, if you want to, I'm going to go there quickly. So if you don't have time, I apologize. I don't think it's up here. Um, but it's Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 11 through 16. I'll give you just a second while I take a drink of water. It says, uh, And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. So it's talking about God and building his church. And so apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, they're all relational beings. They have a purpose to really build up in people's lives what's going on in God. Why? To equip the saints. For what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Okay? What's the purpose of the building up of the body of Christ? Until, the, until we all attain the unity of faith, healthy quadrant four relationship. What's that look? Of the knowledge of the Son of God. The gospel, Jesus Christ, is the, it should be at the center of all relationships. What does that look like? It says, um, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Remember he called us little children, the new covenant? What does that look like? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. What does immaturity look like? Well, immaturity looks like what it says next. Children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitfulness and schemes. Man, I don't want to live like that. That sounds like one, two, and three kind of stuff, right? That sounds like staggering. I forgot to mention that, that the word... Uh, we all go astray. It actually literally translated means staggering and intoxication. And so that description of children being tossed in to and fro is just a picture of staggering. But what are we supposed to do instead? It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're going to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped uh, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Quadrant four relationships. To glorify God, to make God known, to share his love. See, relationships don't thrive without working together and maturing in truth and then living it out. It doesn't do relationally as far as the church goes to just do it in here and to hear all this stuff and say, that was cool. And throw the notes out. We're supposed to live it out. God's got a purpose for us. And so it gets a little bit tricky in the process. And it overwhelms us sometimes. That's why we have to be safe. We have to go at the the sheep's pace with some people. But this thing about defining your relationship, you have to do two things to do that. And they're a little bit uncomfortable. Um, And the next fill in the blank is that you need to take risks and make known a need. And taking a risk means that you, will, you may be attacked. Ryan talked a little bit about that last week with uh, David and Goliath. You take a risk, there's a good chance you're going to be attacked. Relationally, we do the same things, especially if we're getting into a, back into a relationship that wasn't so good before. 
There may be some blaming that goes on, but you might be criticized, you might be accused, you might be condemned. You might be even told, yeah, you know, I'm not really interested in relationship. So you have to take the risk, though, because you can't live without taking risk. But don't take a risk without making known a need. And making known a need, what a need is, is it's fuel. I need comfort. I need security. I need, I need, satis- I need satisfying relationship. I need safety. I need encouragement. I need accountability. So you need to make known what's going to fuel you in the relationship. Okay? And so you've got to take risks and make a need known, and that's, that's fuel. And these two things put together are called vulnerability. And what we're all scared of a lot of the times at many different levels is vulnerability. But vulnerability is light. But like I said, when you're building relationship, do it in a safe way. Use the dimmer switch a little bit, but don't leave the light out. Um, 2 Corinthians also talks about this boldness that we can have, and it's so cool because it talks about where the boldness comes from. And we can be bold because in Christ we have God's permanent glory. Do you remember what glory means? Weight and significance? God's permanent weight and significance in me? Yeah. So how risky is it to take a risk in relationship in the beginnings of starting one? But you've got to shine that light of the gospel, God's glory in those relationships. And so when it doesn't work out the way you think it might work out or the way you hope it might not work out, it's not going to be so devastating. Here's the thing about vulnerability. Honest vulnerability promotes insight to the truthful future of the relationship and probabilities that people can base decisions on. Let me say that again, and I'll break it up a little bit. Open, honest vulnerability, or excuse me, open, let me start all over again. Honest vulnerability promotes insight. So telling people the truth and bringing them in and sharing your needs, it promotes insight. It gives people information. And it talks about you, truthful future of the relationship. It talks about what relationship with you is going to be like so people can base decisions on that. If you unload on somebody and just share all your hurts and your habits and hang-ups and they go, I was just looking for someone to work out with. You know, there's going to be some truth and there's going to be some definition that you can have in building those kinds of relationships. And if you are looking for someone just to work out with, you still need to define it because you still need encouragement and support and, you know, accountability and things like that. That's a good thing to try and get in shape. So you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to take risks. And when we take risks ongoing in relationships... What we need to expect is the next fill in the blanks, and it's, uh, we expect speed bumps. There's speed bumps in relationships, and I'm talking about reasonable relational turmoil. You know, a lot of times when uh, people come to the church office and they want to talk about their marriage or if they want to um, especially do premarital counseling, and we sit down with them and say, we say, well, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your relationship. What's going on? Why do you want to get married? Oh, we are just so compatible. We never argue. We've never, ever had a conflict in our lives. It's like, don't get married. (laughs) Because what that means is someone's lying. It also means someone's needs are not getting met. So one of you isn't necessary. Okay? So you have to expect speed bumps. The relationship has to build some endurance to navigate speed bumps. And guys... I hate to pick on you, but I got a little extra for you today. Here's some marital counseling for you gentlemen. Um, I found a quote 
but I also found a video, I'll share both of you, both of them with you, when it comes to conflict resolution and speed bumps. Here's the quote that I found. It's kind of like the serenity serenity prayer. It says, Lord, when I am wrong, make me willing to change. And when I am right, make me easy to live with. It's very profound. But, guys, extramarital counseling, it's in the form of a video, so go ahead and watch this. This is just for the gentlemen. the choreography myself hey honey have you gained some weight in your rear end the dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend and where'd you get those shoes i think they're pretty lame would you stop talking cuz i'm trying to watch the game if you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life these are the things you don't say to your wife I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday I didn't ask you but I knew it'd be okay Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show I taped it over our old wedding video If you're a man who's done that A long and happy life Lives up to Solo Okay Your cooking is okay, but not like mother makes The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake Your eyes look puffy, dear, are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy long that too These are the things you don't say to you're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife These are the things you don't say to Lily Those are definite speed bumps Speed bumps, okay guys? Just really take that in, gentlemen A little good counsel for you So let's talk about what causes speed bumps First, miscommunication causes speed bumps And I'm talking about not verbal abuse, but innocent, immature communication. That's a great example of immature communication. But if we're supposed to be, be, be maturing in Christ, we're supposed to be able to talk some more, work through the speed bumps, and learn to communicate maturely so when immature communication and miscommunication comes, we can navigate the speed bump. Another thing that causes speed bumps is called innocent triggers. We often talked about it here called the unseen sunburn. Someone's got a sunburn wearing a shirt. You kind of tap them on the shoulder or rub their shoulders. They go, ah! Relationally, a lot of times people have hidden hurts that we can't see. And the extreme way that they respond to whatever you might have done or said in a really small way isn't really the cause of all the pain that they're experiencing. What's going on is that you've just brought them in touch with it. You've reminded them of a feeling or you've done something or said something or not done something or not said something that reminds them of some pain, some hurts that they need to continue to heal on. And you work through that with them and you learn about them in a way that says, okay, I probably shouldn't say that anymore. You know, it's not good to talk about the treadmill. Okay? Okay, so the next thing, and I just kind of mentioned it already, is the next thing we got to, what causes speed bumps is a learning curve. When we don't share our needs and who we are with people, they don't know and they're just kind of shooting from the hip and we might get hit with a couple of bullets every now and then. 
Okay? So we have a learning curve, and there's two things that you have to do at B in the learning curve. You have to be a student, so you have to be asking questions and paying attention and engaging and learning how to relate to this other person, but you also have to be the teacher in allowing them to learn about you by sharing your needs and helping them to learn about you. So there's this learning thing, this learning curve that we go through, and as we learn more, I get to celebrate my 30th anniversary coming up next year. Well, my wife knows a lot more about me than we does, she did when we first got married. And if she knew all that she knew about me then, she probably wouldn't have married me. Okay? So we need to get through those seasons of learning the stranger, as Ray and Nancy taught in the marriage class. It's a learning curve. And don't be surprised when you, know you learn something new about your, your spouse or your person you're having a relationship with. Celebrate it. And if it's a speed bump, navigate it. Right? Sometimes in the learning curve, we're going to find another cause for speed bumps. It's called character issues. Character issues are not deal breakers unless they're not talked about and dealt with. You may know someone that's got anger issues. They might disconnect all the time. They might be really manipulative. They might be negative all the time. They might be irresponsible. Yeah, they're fun to hang out with, but they're really irresponsible when it comes to doing life and things like paying bills and and, and stuff like that. So You have to um, learn these character issues, address them, talk about them, mature in them, that we're going the same direction relationally so you can get through them. Character issues undealt with will become deal breakers and heartbreakers in the future. Okay? So learn about these causes of speed bumps and work through those. And here's a question that you should ask. We need to all ask ourselves this question of ourselves and about the other person we're having a relationship with. Ask the questions, how far can you go? And where is this going? Are we just hanging out here, or is this something I'm needing to give myself to and invest in? There's different levels of relationship. You can just hang out with people. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want purposeful, meaningful, life-building, God-centered relationships that are going somewhere, you need to ask this question. It's a better question than, can I have good relationships? Because you can have the appearance of good relationships and all those other quadrants, but quadrant number four takes um, some doing. And remember what Ephesians chapter four said about speaking the truth in love, growing up in every way into Christ, joined and held together, being equipped, each part working properly, so we each have some roles in the relationship and building itself up in love. And the specific way that you can ask this question of how far can we go is you need to consider you, all of you, and what that might look like is, say, is to say, can you go with me and I with you emotionally? I'm on an emotional roller coaster sometimes. Are you willing to hang on? It's kind of an e-ticket sometimes. But can we do that relationally? How about intellectually? Do we think the same? Do we have different thoughts? And if we do, is there some balance there? Do we balance one another out? How about my past? Can you deal with my past? Do you know about my past? Do I know about your past? Where are we going? How is this going to go? How about my dreams? Are my dreams just way off the charts for you? Or or do you go, yeah, can you support me in those things? How about my career? Sometimes we have jobs that we just can't deal with. I think about the police officers and firefighters. It must be really hard for wives to be, or or even husbands to be married to the people in in the military. Relationships are affected by career as well. How about your hurts? Have you dealt with your hurts? Can you go with me in relationship and know that I've got hurts and we need to work through those things? How about my strengths? 
Do my strengths and your weaknesses balance one another out in your weaknesses and my strengths? How about other relationships? Because I have other relationships. I have some past, I've got some present, and I might have some future. Can you deal with that? Or are you going to be jealous all the time and try and isolate me? How about my mission in life? Are you going that way and I'm going that way? What's this going to look like? Can we do this? Can we help one another and grow together in a loving way? Those kind of questions you need to ask when you're building and trying to maintain relationships. And it's not some, just a one-time thing because relationships grow, dynamics change, life happens. And so we have, so you have to maintain this quadrant four kind of relationship. And here's the thing. I know many of you, and, and I've experienced myself, are just devastated relationally. You may have come from a family that it was a quadrant one relationship. Everybody hung out in their, their own room. Nobody ever talked. There was no love. Maybe it was a very condemning family. Maybe you're in a relationship like that. Or maybe it was just, you know, we're just going to have fun and you know, we're going to play t-ball and nobody keeps score and it's all about self-esteem. There's no truth in your relationships. But maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you just say, this relational thing, I get what you're saying, but I am just not there. You need to find quadrant four kinds of people in quadrant four kinds of places so you can grow and experience the safety and embrace your feet getting washed. And I, I understand if you're there. I've been there. I, I'm there in some other regards and uh, relationally. But I got to learn and grow and work through those things. This love relationship that Christ is offering us is new in that regard to some of us that have been devastated relationally. But we have to know that he says, I give you a new commandment. And he's given it to us because he's shown it to us. So he's saying, you need to trust my love. We need to, you need to trust your feet getting washed and trust also washing other people's feet. Because the thing about washing feet is that it's very intimate. And it brings light. And what I know about the light of the gospel is it washes the dirtiest of feet and it makes it safe for us all. And so let the gospel cleanse you relationally and so you can, out of your relationship with God, you can flourish in your relationships with other people. And we have to see each other in a very particular way. I also taught this to some of the leaders and, and some of you individually, so hang in there with me. It's called seeing the whole person. If you're going to have a relationship with me and I'm going to have a relationship with you, you have to see me and I have to see you in a very particular way. Uh, in your notes, it's a linear fill in the blank, but this is kind of like some binoculars up here. So here's what it looks like. I know some things about every single one of you. Are you scared? You're all good. You're not completely good. That's not what I mean. But every single one of you is made in the image of God. And so there's good about you. But I also know that you're all descendants of Adam and Eve. So you're sinners. So you're bad. So you're both good and you're bad too, right? I also know that there are many of you that are very strong-willed. You got a lot of resolve. You're great at spiritual disciplines. You hang in there. You're great volunteers. But I also know that there's some of you that there's those same things that are good about you that there's some there's some weaknesses that you have. You know? And so you're both strong and you're weak. We got some talented musicians up here, don't we? I wouldn't let them all cook for me. 
So although they're talented, they have limitations too. So that's the picture of me, and that's the picture of you. We're both good and bad and strong and weak and talented. Supposed to add a D there. uh, And limited. And if you're going to have a relationship with me, you have to accept all that about me because that's where the light's going to shine. And if I'm going to have a relationship with you, I have to believe the same thing. That's quadrant four. That's quadrant four relationship. Okay? In that, we can work through our issues. We can talk about our hopes and our dreams, the good stuff, but we can also talk about our issues and our bad stuff. And that's how you do relationship. Outside of that, if I just want to have a relationship with you when you're good and you're strong and you're talented, I'm a consumer. Or if I base my expectations on don't ever be bad, don't ever be weak, don't ever be limited, I'm a quadrant two type person. And you don't want to have those kinds of relationships. But we need to love those people and wash their feet at the same time. Okay? So it's a process of growing and learning. But it's got to be in the lens of like that, like that, that we know that about people and about ourselves. You know, being fully known is a scary and a risking thing, but it's our greatest need and it's so worth it. C.S. Lewis said uh, this about loving people, and I'm just going to paraphrase it, is that uh, to love it all is to risk. And if you put your heart out there, it's probably going to be wrung out and it might even get broken. And the only remedy to that is to hide it in the coffin in a darkness. And in that darkness, it's going to change. Or you can surround itself with luxuries and, and things that make you feel good. That sounds like quadrant three. But in the darkness of that coffin that you hide your heart in because you don't want it to be broken, it's going to change. It's going to become irredeemable. It's going to become impenetrable. And that's not the kind of heart you want. God wants our heart to be just kind of this sponge that ebbs and flows with love. It gives love and it puts love out. That's what our blood does. It blows, blows in, blood that goes out. And that's what he wants our hearts to be. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the love chapter. And as I was studying, I, and I read different versions and stuff, but I just love the way the message puts it. So if you have a message Bible, cool. If you don't, we get it up here on the screen. So I wanted to talk about this love and, um, and bring light to what our hearts and our love are supposed to look like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak with human eloquence and uh, angelic ecstasy, but don't, have, uh, but don't love, I'm nothing but a creaking and rusty gate. Yeah, hey, I want to introduce you to my friend, the creaking and rusty gate. That's no kind of love. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Bankrupt. Nothing. Gotten nowhere. That's pretty sad. Just to, be, to look like you're loving, but not to be loving. It goes on to say, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have, doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. It's, it's, it isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. 
trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, keeps going to the end. Love never dies. We need to pursue that kind of love. And this is a picture of our best relational day. But remember, we're sheep. It says, inspired speech will, go, will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is, only, is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, it's talking about Jesus. Our incompleteness will be canceled. So I think this is already not yet kind of stuff. When Jesus shows up in your heart, you're going to be better relationally because you're going to have an example and you're going to know what to do. But eternally, when Jesus shows up for his second coming to bring us all home, ah, it's going to be complete and our incompleteness will be canceled. But we're still kids here. It says, when I was an infant in my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like an infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. So we need to grow up relationally and leave those infant ways of doing relationships for good. You see, four through eight isn't just a picture of our best relational days. It's a picture of how Christ loves us. And as a child, my love compared to his is incomplete and immature. But knowing who I am in Christ and maturing in him, my ability to love matures. And so do we get it? Do we get it? Well, I'm still a sheep, but so not near enough for me to be successful. It goes on that we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. And that thing about light, we'll see it all then. See it all as clear as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. And this is a picture of personal, per, perfect relational paradise in heaven. But for right now, it says, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. It's all quadrant four stuff. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. All you need is love. Sorry. All right, so at its foundation of our relational needs, there's some things that we need. We all want to be known and accepted and made whole. But those are the hardest things for us as sheep to give one another. So Christ shows us how, and he does it. And him going to the cross was way more than a basin of water and a towel. He washed way more than your feet with three nails and every drop of his blood. And he did that so we can have relationship with the Father and we can have loving and whole relationships with one another. So, last point, always remember that Christ is the Redeemer and not you. Stop trying to be people's Jesus in your relationships. Just love like he does. Let him love you and and be a quadrant four type of person. So, if we're called to love and connect... We have to find our satisfaction first in Christ. And in Christ, we're all knowable, we're all lovable, and we're all redeemable. So you can find quadrant four people to have relationships with. Can you be a quadrant four type of person? Yes, you can. And it's found in Jesus Christ. And it's found in his church. It's lived out in his church. 
not only in here, but so we can go out there and proclaim the gospel and live the gospel out in our own lives. Amen? All right. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for being a quadrant for God. And that is just such a limited view of you. Lord, be all of who you are to us in our relationships. And Lord, help us to be understanding and quadrant four kinds of people. Help us to live out the gospel according to your strength and your power, knowing that you're the redeemer and you're the one that died on the cross. And we need to just die in our own way in our relationships with one another to offer love and forgiveness and satisfaction that comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. God bless.